The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown. To zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. Today, we're speaking with Lisa Zimmerman. She's been featured on the show before in episode 102 called Toxins in Our Plastic Products. She's a PhD researcher at the Aquatic Ecotoxicology Department at Gotha University in Frankfurt and part of the Plastics, that's Plastics with an X, Plastics Research Group at the Institute for Social Ecological Research. She led a very recent study that was published in September 2020 called Are Bioplastics and Plant-Based Materials Safer Than Conventional Plastics in Vitro Toxicity and Chemical Composition? Lisa, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me again. Um, so this is great to speak with you again. It feels like it was just yesterday uh, that we, that we were talking about the the toxins that are sometimes found in our plastic products. Um, and then this is a pretty exciting study too, because I think there is a a conception that bioplastic is going to be healthier for us and the planet. Um, but there's some more information I think that we need about this. Uh, so we're going to talk all about your study. And uh, let's start with what material types you analyzed in the study and, and how did you conduct this study? All right. So um, basically, I don't know if some of you might have heard the last podcast. And because it was from the, from the general um, setup, it was really similar. But this time we had um, the focus on, was on bioplastics and plant-based materials. Um, and here we analyzed in total 43 different products. And as in the last time we acquired the products in the supermarket or from online suppliers or from a plastic trade fair. And then um, we cut that products and extracted them with a solvent to isolate all the chemicals used in the products. And subsequently we performed on one hand um, in vitro experiments to determine the toxic effects of the extracts. And on the other hand, um, we performed chemical analysis to determine the number and to identify the, the function of the compounds um, we found. Um, so this, that was the general setup, um, really similar as in our last study. So that also allows us to compare the um, results from that study to the last one, mean to compare bioplastics with conventional plastics. If some of you don't really know what the term bioplastic means or what it comprises, I might shortly mm -hmm. define it. Yeah, that would be awesome. Just so that we know. Um, I mean, I think we all have our, our ideas of what it means. But yeah, so so bio-based and biodegradable, are, those are the two types of, of plastic that you are analyzing. Is that right? Yeah. So generally, bioplastic can mean on one hand that it's bio-based. That means that it's made from renewable feedstocks um, that can be, for example, um, bio-PE, so bio-polyethylene. And on the other hand, um, bioplastics can comprise materials which are biodegradable. That means that they degrade naturally, so under naturally occurring conditions by the action of microorganisms. 
And then we can have materials that are both that are bio-based and biodegradable. Here, um, an example would be polylactic acid, which might um, be quite known. So bio-based uh, or bioplastics can on one hand be bio-based, they can be biodegradable or they can be both. And then on the other hand, there are similar materials on the market, like for example, starch, cellulose or bamboo, bamboo plants. And these are plant-based materials, which are however often um, blended with synthetic materials. And it is currently unclear whether they are also are defined as bioplastics or not. And that's why we called them in our study plant-based materials. So we had both. We had these bioplastics and we had these plant-based materials. Oh, okay. So a, a bioplastic could still have fossil fuels in it. Is that right? Um, it could when it is a blend. Yeah, a blend. Mm-hmm. And then in the case of these plant-based materials, like if you use starch or cellulose, they um, they need to be blended with other materials because as such, they don't fulfill um, the function they need. So for example, they brittle really easily. Yeah. Is they, that the right word? Yeah, they, yeah like they'll break. Like, they they uh, break easily, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. The One of the... the the most notable things that I've heard on this show was with a professor from California. It was Sangwon Su. It was the episode called The Carbon Emissions of Plastic. And he's the one who told me that these biodegradable or like bio-based plastics, uh, they don't break down in the ocean yeah. any, any more than the regular plastic. And I found that quite shocking because I just assumed that mm-hmm. if it was made to be biodegradable that in the ocean it would just disappear and become fish food or something but that wasn't really the case so it can still get trapped in animals it can still cause problems it still floats around uh that kind of thing yeah that's that's true so biodegradable does not as you said it does not necessarily mean that it also degrades onto naturally occurring conditions like for example in the ocean or in some terrestrial environment it might degrade under optimal conditions as for example in industrial um, composting oh yeah the facilities yeah the composting facilities there it might they might degrade but even that is still debatable if they do so yeah so in in toronto i went to get some some healthy food and they were advertising how their their stuff is biodegradable their containers Mm -hmm. and then there was just a garbage can so there was no separation, right? So if you're, you know, a restaurant and you're buying this this biodegradable plastic, but you're not sending it to the high heat compost facility that is likely required to break it down, then it's just going into the 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 landfill or the incinerator. So it almost seems like it might be using more resources. Yeah. You know, if you're growing a field of corn that could maybe be grown to feed people yeah and especially with the biodegradable ones um then because they i mean they are made to biodegrade so that means that you use them only once right so Mm. then you you can't recycle them obviously and then you Mm. need a lot of resources for them so that might also something to to be considered um and to question where do we really need biodegradable plastics or might be in some application might be recycled 
recyclable plastics better because we don't need any, we don't need them to biodegrade anyways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't need them to biodegrade. What What do you mean? Is there an example? Oh, in my opinion, like the biodegradables, they are really only useful for certain applications where um, the biodegradation is part of the function. As for example, in, in medicine, when we have a like a pharmaceutical or some kind of active ingredient oh. or active substance and we want to transport it to a certain location in our body. And then it might be sense to have some biodegradable um, layer around it so that we can trans or that it is transported to the location where we want, um, want it to be. Or for example, if we can't avoid something to get into the environment, might it be, for example, fishing nets, which are often lost from boats, or might it be yeah something else which is we, where we can't really avoid that it gets into the environment there the biodegradation or the biodegradability um, makes sense because we really need it but then in case for example of our water bottle do we really need to that that biodegrades or can we not bring it back to our um, local retailer and then um, recycle it in that um, case we also save resources because we use it again so it really yeah. depends on the application, what function um, a material needs to fulfill. And maybe some functions we don't really need for a certain application. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Also, I remember seeing a film about the bioplastics contaminating the recycling bales. Yeah. So, yeah, if you have a, a plastic cup that's biodegradable, but you don't really see that it is it doesn't say that it is so you put it in the recycling bin with everything mm -hmm. else that looks plastic and recyclable then I think that may cause problems too for the people trying to like turn that plastic into something new right yeah. I'm not really sure what happened yeah yeah that's true to it. yeah yeah um, but let's get back to your study so uh, what was the percent of bio-based and biodegradable products that tested positive uh, for baseline toxicity so in total, it were two-thirds or 76% um, of the 43 products wow. we analyzed. Um, so wow. it was, yeah, more than the majority. Uh, or it wasn't the majority. And generally, we observed the highest effect for the cellulose and starch-based products. Is starch made from, from... Potato, for example. Corn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's. So, what is baseline toxicity? <laughs> let's just make sure that we understand. Uh, um, yeah, what's going I on try here. to um, to to make it as simple as possible. Um, so, yeah. in the essay we we applied to test for baseline toxicity um, uses a bacteria, which naturally is fluorescent, so it, it emits light. So, in the essay we applied to test baseline toxicity uses a bacteria um, that naturally fluoresces. And if this bacteria stops to emit light, that signals us that their metabolism is disrupted. So um, it doesn't test for the exact mechanism, but rather tells, it, it tells us that something interferes with their natural functioning. And thus has a general or a so-called baseline toxicity. And exactly that was what happened for two-thirds of the samples we applied in this assay. So basically, we applied this um, chemical mixtures and then 
we did not see any um, any light anymore to to make it simple wow okay so there are things in the plastic that are not good for an yeah. organism but but you're not exactly sure like which ones yeah um, but because on one hand which chemicals we don't know because it's a mixture on on the other hand we don't know where exactly in the organism this um chemicals do what we just see okay it somehow interferes um such that the um normal functioning of this organism is disrupted wow so yeah that's that's definitely worrisome when you tested the bioplastics you also in your last study tested like petroleum based plastics so I don't remember the percentage mm -hmm. of uh, petroleum-based plastics that had toxicity. So were bioplastics worse for toxicity or were petroleum-based plastics worse for toxicity? Um, actually, and interestingly, it was exactly the same percentage um, of oh. bio-based and biodegradable products as well as of the conventional plastics. In both times, it was were um, 76%. And it was not only only the same percentage but on the other hand also like the mean effect strengths these um, samples induced in our test was comparable between these um, different plastic types that's yeah th that has some strange implications i think um, i didn't expect for them to be the same um, and they in the beginning you said you were taking them from i think you went to a grocery store you went to like a plastics trade show or something um, so trade these fair. are kind of from sorry what was a, it? a trade fair Oh, a trade fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, so these were kind of like similar products from similar places, right? In both studies? Um. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like containers mm -hmm. and, and stuff. Yeah. Um, what else did you find in your study? Um, yeah, as I said in the beginning, we not only um, looked at the toxicity of these chemical mixtures, but we also um, looked at the chemicals in there. Um, and what we found is that bioplastics and plant-based materials contain a large number and a large variety of chemicals. So one single product can contain up to 20,000 different chemicals. And most of the samples, like 80%, contain more than 1,000 chemicals. It's a lot. So we have a really, we have a complex mixture of compounds in our products here. So you said that, you know, two-thirds of the bio-based and biodegradable plastic was testing for, you know, baseline toxicity. Did you see a trend in these plastics that did not have baseline toxicity? So for example, was bamboo-based plastic mm -hmm. like the the least toxic? Like was there like which ones were least toxic basically? Um yeah, so um you're right. Um the bamboo product we studied did indeed not induce any toxicity in the in our tests. However, in that case we only studied one sample of bamboo. That was only because we could we just did not find other products um during that time on the market which were made from bamboo. Um, so, but still, the picture might be different or is probably different for other bamboo-based products. So this is underlined also by our study results for other materials, material types of which we studied more than one or two products. Um, here, we ob observe toxicity for some, but not for all of these products. For instance, um, of the PLA, we analyzed 10 different um, samples and eight were with toxicity and two were without toxicity. Um, and that's 
basically show that that we can't generalize based on a material type, but that the toxicity and the chemical composition is specific for each individual product. So, yeah, the problem was basically that we could not find from each material type 10 products or a range of products, but some, somehow we could only um, study individual or single products of one material type. So they're all, they're, there's not much consistency in the, the plastics, in the plastic packaging world, right? You could, I think, for example, take a bunch of different plastic cups and they, they could just be totally different, whether yeah. they say they're all made from the, the same material or not. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly, that's true. You can have, for example, you have two yogurt cups, they look completely the same. And no matter if they are made of the same material type or if they're made of two different material types, they may perform completely differently. So some might contain toxicity and the other might not contain toxicity. So it's for the consumer, it's really hard to differentiate and to see from the outside which uh, material is better or which product is better than another one. It's so frustrating. <laughs> it reminds me of this problem I'm having because it's it's canning season, right? It's the fall, so yeah. I'm trying to can all our beets and and tomato sauces and all these things, and I'm trying to find those lids uh, mm -hmm. that don't have BPA on them. But then, of course, we know if it doesn't have BPA, it could have something that's just as bad. Uh, so yeah, I'm just really having trouble finding like some good canning methods. And when I read the descriptions mm -hmm. of the lids, it'll say you know BPA and and toxin free or something and it's like hmm is it really <laughs> like what what is actually on that lid it's it's tough i know there's like the rubber bands that you can use so i'm trying to get into those but i think they're hard to find here as opposed to i bet they're easier to find in in europe but uh yeah it's 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 tough when you when you're trying to find good packaging yeah I that's think. true yeah and make the right decision, right? Because if we knew that there was a plastic that was recyclable and didn't have any toxins in it, mm -hmm. and then it, you know, it should be fine. Um, but yeah, it's like you kind of never know, which is it is not very good. Um, so I was reading about anti-androgenicity, and so that that affects the male sex hormone, right? And I I saw that that was sort of mentioned in the report. So do the do the do the crops that serve as a feedstock, so like the corn or the mm -hmm. potatoes, is that what has that anti-androgenicity in it? Or is this coming from chemicals added after we use that uh, feedstock? Mm. So like, let, let me shortly differentiate between a, like a um, natural feedstock and a synthetic um, plastic, for example. Yeah. So um, yeah. indeed, among all the features and the chemicals, or yeah, we de we detected, there might be some compounds that are produced by the plant itself. But these are natural compounds which are produced during the life cycle of a plant. And here we, we exactly, we know what we are taking up. Um, and in contrast to that, in um, conventional as well as in bio-based or biodegradable materials, synthetic chemicals are used. And here, as I um, mentioned before, we don't really know what we are taking up. Um, so that is like the main difference. And then regarding your question concerning the anti-androgenicity, in that case, 
it is um, chemicals we added. It's not in our natural feedstocks. Yeah. Uh, the reason I wonder is because uh, I went to this uh, <laughs> this display at the, the Natural Museum of History in New York City, and it was on poisons. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is kind of random, but uh, it was it was like a history of poisons and different plants and things like that. And so I've always kind of been aware uh, since then that that natural things can have, you know, some toxicity in them or something. And so I was just kind of wondering if if there's a process where you take corn and you turn it into plastic, if somewhere along the way, you know, there's something that's not good for us in there or it. Um, yeah, you're right. In, indeed. Um, also, yeah, plants or can produce some compounds which are toxic um, for us humans. Yeah. Then it also depends on the concentration we're taking up. But um, yeah, yeah, in that case, yeah, the anti, yeah, we know that the anti-androgenicity is not from the feedstock. Mm -hmm. I guess that's good because you could maybe change it, right? Yeah. If there's a, a something that's added to it after, you could hopefully yeah. find a substitute. Yeah, yeah, and that's actually what we in we among all the products we analyzed, there were products without toxicity, and then you can see, here you can see that there is good alternatives on the market. And you can uh, you can use these as orientation um, for the production um, of of new materials with that, which which are without toxicity. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's actually good news. There is good products on the market already. That is good. Yeah. Is there other good news about bioplastics, or is that? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to present them too negatively because what we did, we we were looking at the um, toxicity, right? But um, if you want to assess the the performance or the sustainability of a, of a material, you need to take into account the whole plastic life or the whole life cycle of the material. And indeed, there there are probably or for sure there are bioplastics which outperform conventional plastics with regards to certain aspects, like for example, with regards to environmental impacts, like for example, greenhouse gas emission or social impacts. But here we have to also see it product-wise. So there might be some some bioplastics which are which have less environmental impact than conventional plastics, but then there might be some bioplastics whose production also emits a lot of greenhouse gases. It really yeah. also this it really depends on the product itself. Mm -hmm. Maybe the thing is that um, each material which we are using has some kind. Might it be a conventional plastic or bioplast bio-based biodegradable material? has some kind of impact might it be an environmental impact or might it be an health impact and only because we change the material we don't lose all impacts right we, we might just change the impact and what absolutely yeah and what we wanted to demonstrate with our study is that we need to consider this health impact or the impact of um, chemical safety when we um, assess the performance of a material um, because currently, um, like for example, life cycle assessments of uh, materials, like uh, which are usually used to to say or to um, assess the sustainability of a material, the chemical toxicity or safety is not included. But they 
rather, or what they include is environmental impact. So they assess the greenhouse gas emission. Yeah, and here we should also take into account um, toxicity aspects as well. This totally reminds me of the Danish plastic bag study. Did you ever read that? Do you know what one I'm talking about? The, Can you help me a, on that? Which one you mean? Yeah. So it was a Danish study on carrier bags, plastic carrier yeah. bags. And I think it was about 78 pages or something. And I see it quoted in Canadian news all the time. Everybody uses it in favor of plastic bags saying, look at this study. They say that plastic bags have less of a emissions carbon footprint, basically, than any other bag. Mm -hmm. You know, you a, cl a cloth bag, you'd have to use like 10,000 mm -hmm. times or something because you have to water the cotton, mm -hmm. you have to transport it, you have to process it, all this stuff. Um, but the problem with that study, and you know, there really isn't a problem inherently because the study says very, very clearly, if you read it, that they did not take into account if those plastic bags get into the environment. And they said that clearly in the in, in the study, but I think a lot of reporters, I don't think they read the study. I think they just kind of quote it, mm -hmm. you know, as saying, hey, plastic bags are the best for the environment. Well, from one standpoint, yes, from the beginning making of, mm -hmm. of it. Um, but, but when you get that out into a whale's stomach or you get that into, you know, a, a, a deer that eats it or, or the plastic pollution in the water or the soil or whatever, um, that just wasn't included in the study. And that's fair. Like the, the mm -hmm. study was explicit, but yeah, I see that study misquoted so often. Um, so yeah, when I think it's important that when we're looking at these things and we see a statistic mm -hmm. that, we question, you know, what is it missing? Mm -hmm. You know, if you say this is terrible for the environment, well, what are the trade-offs or, you mm -hmm. know, do we include these different factors? So yeah, that's a, that's a good example is yeah, we're, we're looking, we have to look at the whole life mm -hmm. of bioplastics and, you know, right from growing the corn, is it sustainable? Mm -hmm. Is it a yeah. terrible company that has these seeds that like has a monopoly over farmers like yeah. this how is the water used is there phosphorus going into the water um all this stuff right yeah it's a it's a, a big big piece of the puzzle um and so yeah toxicity is very interesting uh part of it and certainly important to me right as a mom i don't want to be giving my kid you know toxins and, and also i don't want to be putting it in my compost because yeah. if something is bio biodegradable i will put it in my compost pile and then use that on my garden um, and so I don't want to be putting, you know, really bad things in that. Yeah. Either, so. Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, um, this labeling of something is of bio, then people automatically have the picture in their mind. Okay. This is good. This is sustainable. And, and it is also, it's healthy. I mean, at every sense, it's a good material, but, um, and only because it takes this label of bio. And then we have to, to question and to see whether that is really the case. And then with regards to the toxins, we see, okay, bio does just not mean that it's safe. So it might, yeah, it might be um, that it's made of renewable resources. And then as you also said, then we have to question, okay, where does this feedstock come from exactly? So is it a monoculture? Was it planted somewhere where normally rainforest was, um, where the fertilizer used? So all these things need to be considered to actually assess how sustainable and how good the material actually is and whether it performs better in the end as a conventional plastic. Yeah, all really good 
good points. It's so interesting. Yeah. So the thing is that like in the moment, a lot of people like to cut their plastic footprint and they shift towards alternative materials. And whether that shift may be good for the environment or, or not, um, it will certainly result in a shift in human exposure to the chemicals found in these plastic alternatives. And that's why we actually performed the study that we wanted to see um, because there's really little known about the toxicity of these um, chemicals used in these alternative materials. So, um, yeah, we performed the study and then we see, okay, with the concerns to that questions, mm -hmm. um, plastics alternatives do not necessarily outperform conventional plastics at the current state. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want to point out, that the chemical safety needs to be considered more. And yeah, when we want to find truly better alternatives. And But what I already also mentioned, um, there's also good news with regards to that, because there are already products on the market which are safe. So we know products can be produced in a safe way. But in order to do so, the product composition needs to be made openly available and communicated transparently. Yeah, yeah, that, that sounds good. And it, I know we're not talking about jarlids. It's just I'm obsessed with them right now because <laughs> I've been so yeah. busy doing it. And I, I wish that the companies would be clear and transparent so that I could pick which lid because mm -hmm. I'm really just just guessing. And sometimes I, I've written a couple companies and just saying, hey, what's this made out of or that made out of? And they just sort of like, they say one general thing, like, because what we talked about last time you were on the show is that the companies sometimes don't know themselves mm -hmm. what's going in things. So yeah, it would certainly be nice if there was more transparency in this, this sort of stuff. Now, do you personally prefer to choose bioplastics or conventional plastics to touch your own food and beverages? If you were given the choice to get one or the other with your, you know, your food and your coffee in it or something, you know, uh, do you have a preference? Mm. Yeah, that's a tough question. Um, <laughs> I would say it really depends on my my goal. For example, if I w if I need biodegradability, then I would go for biodegradable ones. If I if I really care about the resource the resources and care that something is based from renewable resources resources, then I um, would definitely go for a bio based one. But however, with regards to the health aspects, bioplastics don't bring me any advantage over the conventional ones since they can contain also toxic chemicals. And what I try is to reduce my exposure to plastic chemicals and try to buy, buy unpacked food instead. So I think since every material, might it be bio or not, has some kind of impact, I might be it on, on, on my own health or on the environment. Um, the goal should be that we rethink and change our behavior towards the use of less materials or to reuse products, recycle them and like save resources. I think that would be something to try to optimize, like to rethink where can I avoid plastics or where can I avoid like packaging in general and maybe can I rather use something which I can reuse again or can I recycle that or can I repair it um, instead of buying something new? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Lisa, it's been a pleasure to have you uh, for a second time. So this has been great. Thank you for coming on the show and telling us all about your study. Yeah, thank you.
That was Lisa Zimmerman. She's a PhD researcher in the Aquatic Ecotoxicology Department at Gotha University. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.